0: Oh, hey, Amanda. I was just about to record the intro for episode 8 of the podcast, and- It's Amanda, and I can't come to the phone right now. Oh. You do realize that you are the only person who ever calls me on this old 2003 Nokia flip phone. You're lucky I even keep it charged. Why don't you know how to text? I've given you my new number so many times. And you better not be recording a podcast intro because I told you before that if you are, I want to be there so you don't do one of those impressions of me that you think is hilarious but doesn't actually sound anything like me. I don't sound like this. I don't know why you think this sounds like Amanda. Yes, I have a bubbly voice. It's spirited. It's energized. But I don't talk like this. Welcome to Big Theatre Small Towns, a podcast that celebrates small-town theatre. I'm your co-host, Graham. And I'm Amanda. My, Amanda, you're sounding quite like yourself today. Some may even say, better. Why, thank you, Graham. Don't mention it. In this episode, I speak with director, playwright, teacher, producer, and workshop leader, Michael Clipperton. Michael has directed a number of theatrical productions over the last 30 years, ranging from musicals to comedies and dramas, and even an opera. In his professional career, he taught high school drama, and outside of the classroom, he's led playwriting workshops and has even written several scripts himself. These plays have been performed in Halliburton by Rural Rogues Productions, a company devoted to producing works that are deeply rooted in local history and culture. Any one aspect of Michael's impressive resume would make him a perfect guest for our podcast. And then we add to the fact that he's also a great storyteller. Well, I think you're really going to enjoy the following 40 minutes. So here's my chat with Michael Clipperton.
1: Hello there. Hello, Graham. How are you?
0: I am doing very well. How are you doing? Good. It's nice. nice to meet you over the internet.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is—it's uh, strange times, is it not?
0: It is indeed. I thought we would just sort of talk a bit about your history. Um, sort of when, when you, when did the theater bug uh, bite you, and and how you. How you became involved in theater? Was there a moment you can you can point to uh, that you said that's that's what I want to do or or was it sort of more gradual thing?
1: I think the bug hit me in the womb. <laughs> oh, my mother wouldn't like me to hear me say that, I'm sure. but anyway, <laughs> um, my first theatrical endeavor was when I was in nursery school. I remember this very clearly, like I was five years old. <laughs> and we, um, it was in a church basement. Yeah, I grew up in Streetsville. Oh, where's that? Uh, it's now part of Mississauga. Okay. My family has been in Streetsville since the 1840s. Oh, wow. And some of us are still there. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, yes, it was a nursery school at the local Anglican church, and we did Peter Rabbit as a performance, and I was farmer mcdonald (laughs) remember that i remember wearing a straw hat and a pair of overalls and a checkered shirt i have no idea what i said but i i do remember it so i think that was probably when it became clear to me that that was going to be my path and you know i did theater um and music um throughout my elementary and high school careers and then i went to work well I, i went to university briefly Right out of high school, uh, you're looking at a university dropout. Okay. <laughs> Much to my surprise. Yeah. Anyway, I um, my family owns an insurance brokerage, and I worked there. I decided to go and work for a year, and to, you know, to sort out what I wanted to do. And I ended up working there for 12 years. Oh wow. Yeah. And um, didn't do a lot of theater during that time. Didn't didn't do any theater, but I was very involved in. Um, the music scene, uh, choir scene mostly, church choir and community choir. And then um, decided to go back to school part-time when I was 27. Right. And um, eventually graduated. Took me six years to finish my degree. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got uh, was when I started at York. I had an appointment with a a counsellor to decide what courses I should be taking. I really had no idea and he asked me what I was interested in and I said well I'm kind of interested in the theater and I think but my plan was to take all the required courses first he said oh no 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 you don't want to do that take a course that is of interest to you first find out if you like it to find out if you like university life and then take your required courses uh, so that's what I did, and I, I chose a theater course and loved it. It was a an introductory course to theater we you know we dabbled in some lighting and some design, some performance, all kinds of things mm-hmm. and I loved it and wow. decided that was going to be my track. I was a part time student I was I was still working full time and going to school full time mm-hmm. and I did that for four years and then made the big leap and left the family business <laughs> which was uh, dramatic, to say the least. <laughs> anyway, we won't, up...
0: we won't get into that, yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no you know,
1: I'm in politics. And um, then finished up my degree in two years and then decided to, you know, I was either gonna be an actor or a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, both my parents were teachers and grandparents on both sides. My grade seven teacher had told me that I was a natural born teacher. <laughs> And that was something I did not want to hear when I was in grade seven.
0: <laughs> no, of course not.
1: <laughs> and uh, So I, anyway, I applied to several teachers' colleges and was accepted at all of them mm-hmm. and chose U of T. So I did my B.Ed. in drama and um, social sciences. Actually, it was called Man and Society.
0: <laughs>
1: of course, it's politically incorrect these days.
0: Well, yeah, but it's, it's interesting that that's what it was called way back.
1: Yeah, back then. yeah. I never taught it. And I, I did a, an additional qualification in English. So I was qualified to teach drama and English. And that's what got me my first teaching job. Right. Which was in Aurelia. So I moved to Aurelia in 1987 and started teaching English, full-time English. I had no idea what I was doing. Those first couple of years of teaching are a blur. But at the same time, I was introduced to uh, the local... Th- community theater company there, Mariposa Arts Theater. And the school that I was teaching at that first year was putting on a production of Annie. And so I assisted with that. And there were several teachers involved on stage and off. And one of the on-stage small role guys dropped out at the last minute. So I stepped in and took his role. And I would also, I should also tell you, I should have done some community theater while I was still working, mostly in Brampton with uh, Bramley Little Theater. So I was able to actually start, reintroduce myself to the whole world of theater through my work as a teacher. From then on, I was still teaching some English, but I was trying to teach as much drama as I could. Yeah. But in, a small, in small schools of less than a thousand students, there's not a lot of drama courses available. Right. So I was always split between English and drama. Throughout those, like I was in Aurelia for 11 years, and I was involved in um, several theater companies there. And during that time, also a friend of mine and I started our own theater company and did several seasons of summer theater. Okay, cool. And uh, we also did a lot of, I blush to admit it, uh, we did a lot of murder mystery dinner theater. <laughs> as, uh, for, very often for charities yeah it's a fundraising event, so you know we were we we were paid minimally <laughs> and expected to make a donation back to the charity
0: <laughs> got a free dinner out of it, I'm sure too
1: yeah, and an excellent <laughs> uh so my partner and i we we actually wrote probably a dozen different dinner theater murder mysteries, oh wow, over the period of five or six years and we did them all sort of all over Simcoe County in Aurelia, Midland, Penetang. And they're, so you, they're great fun.
0: Yeah. So you would like go, you would show up in, in say Midland or, or and, and do a, like a weekend or, or. A, or a, uh, usually just an evening. An evening show. Yeah.
1: We always wrote eight characters. Uh, so there are four men and four women. And we would write the outline of the plot and give the actors a suggested script, and then it was up to them to build off that script and create whatever it was they were going to create. As we <laughs> used to say, it wasn't Shakespeare, but it sure was fun.
0: <laughs> well, I guess you, you really got to work on your practice your improv skills doing oh, shows oh, like that. Yeah,
1: because, and and we like we would have dinner with the guests, right? So we're sitting at their tables in character for probably three to three and a half hours. Yeah. It's exhausting. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> you don't realize how exhausting it is until you actually do it. It was fun, mm-hmm. fun to do, but, but hard work. There used to be a restaurant in Aurelia called the Swippy Express, and it was located in old uh, railway cars. And if they had a good sellout crowd, they'd have two cars full of guests. So on those evenings, we actually had to do the show twice because <laughs> the audiences were separated in two different cars. And so we do what we do the first scene in car number one, then we'd scurry over. Go
0: next door. Oh wow. <laughs>
1: oh man. It was exhausting.
0: Yeah, try to keep track of what's going on in both cars. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> and um, I, I always acted as um, the MC and I always had notes in front of me. And I, I God, if if I ever had to memorize this stuff, I would be lost. <laughs> we did three seasons of summer theatre in Coburg, Ontario. Okay. Which were more or less successful. Also, lots of hard work. Yeah. You know, because I was teaching full-time. My partner, my business partner was working full-time. So, you know, we could only do it in the summer. And so we would move to Coburg for like six or eight weeks. They have a beautiful 19th century town hall. Right. Victoria Hall, which is the same building as the St. Lawrence Hall on King Street East in Toronto. Oh. it's exactly the same building, only slightly smaller. Anyway, it's a fantastic building with a large theater on the second floor.
0: What kind of shows were you uh, putting
1: on? Uh, the first year we did Nonsense.
0: You played a nun, I imagine.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, I, I was actually just talking about that yesterday because one of the publicity stunts we did one day was we had all the, the five women dress in their nuns costumes. Yeah just walked down the main street right and a group of filipino women bombarded us like there were probably 20 of them i think they were a tour group right and they thought the women were real nuns <laughs> and we couldn't i could not convince them otherwise that these the no these are actors They are God. Oh, no. oh man it was funny so we did nonsense the first year and the second year we did um uh the, the affections of may and uh, the fantastics and the third year we did romeo and juliet which was uh, just after the uh, leonardo DiCaprio ah yes that was released so we thought that would be a good tie-in
0: yeah
1: and sadly um well sadly or not uh, we had to compete with the weather that summer it was so hot <laughs> for the entire run that nobody wanted to come into the theater hmm and we had audiences of like 20, which was rather disheartening. Anyway, that 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 was the last year that we did that. It was again, a lot of work, but boy, did we learn a lot. I moved to a large, a very large high school in Barrie, Eastview Secondary School. And that's where I spent the last 15 years of my career. While I was at Eastview, and while I was the head, the Ministry of Education announced a new program called Specialist High Skills Majors, which was initially designed for work in, uh, people, kids who wanted to work in the trades. We were one of five schools in the province who had this program. So in the arts, for instance, if you wanted to specialize in the performing arts, you would pick two of them. Right. So it might be drama and dance. Okay or instrumental music and vocal music. And you would take courses in those areas in grade 11 and 12. Most of them would go on to university and maybe have drama as a minor or dance as a minor, Um, but not necessarily as a career. Right. Um, And that was one of the other things we focused on as well was looking at careers. For several years, I organized a whole day called Arts at Work, where we would bring in professional artists Singers, musicians, dancers, directors, uh, administrators, those Mm -hmm. kinds of things from all kinds of fields. (laughs) I can probably count on one hand the number of kids I know of who have gone on to professional careers. I don't know what that says about the program.
0: Well, I think it says, yeah, a lot of how difficult (laughs) an industry it is to get into. (laughs) Uh,
1: One of my former students has been appearing in Kim's Convenience. Okay. And in Schitt's Creek. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, so that's kind of cool. I yeah. turn it on and watch an episode, and I, oh my God, there's Christina! There's
0: Christina! You must feel you must feel uh, good that that's that it's carrying on after you've uh, after you've left.
1: Yeah, uh, that's I guess that's sort of my legacy. Yeah, Eastview Secretary of School. <laughs> I said when I retired, maybe maybe they would build the Michael Michael Clipperton Memorial Theater.
0: Yeah, at the school, but still <laughs> waiting. Still waiting. Okay, well, yeah. Oh <laughs>
1: Anyway, but and, and all during that time, I was directing shows, both uh, professionally and in the community theater world. Plus, I was singing a lot as well. I sang in the Toronto Mendelssohn Choir for 10 years, and uh, that's a huge commitment of time yeah. and travel. I was spending my life in my car.
0: So you were directing, you say you mentioned you're directing both professional shows and community theater shows. Uh uh, in Toronto, professional shows uh, or in smaller towns,
1: uh... mostly in smaller venues, smaller towns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I directed an opera oh. once once
0: Once <laughs> once is enough. <laughs>
1: God talk about a different world. Uh, the director is nobody. The stage director is nobody. It's all about the conductor. It was a, an opera written for children but performed by adults. The company is called Tapestry. New Opera, I think it's now called Tapestry Opera. They're based in Toronto. And this, uh, they commissioned this work for children and it was about uh, schoolyard bullying. And it was, there were five characters, plus a small pit band, and it was only 30 minutes. But it toured the province on three separate occasions, which I was just astounded at. And so I got rehired every year. years to come back and direct it or redirect it because it was a a slightly different cast every time Mm. and then it would go off on tour for like a month (laughs) really (laughs)
0: okay
1: (laughs) um and that's been my one and only foray into the opera world i consider myself i guess a pro-am i get paid when the company can afford to pay me and when they can't i will donate my time with my so-called expertise, and plus, I of course did a lot of directing in my teaching work as well.
0: Yeah, I was gonna, I was thinking about that. How you know, directing, you know, your day to day, you're working with students, and you know, you're you're directing them, and how did that inform your how you when you go out into the into the real world, the non the non education world, and and work with adults and and other actors. How, how, how did you balance the two? Sometimes it's no
1: different. <laughs> you know, particularly in the community theater world, you will always there will always be one or two people in the cast or in the company who have very little experience mm-hmm. with theater. Like they don't even know stage right from stage left and upstage from downstage.
0: Yeah.
1: So in that regard, it, uh, directing in the theater world is like teaching, and I always regarded it as that. And the the work that I did in the real world. Informed what I did at school, and vice versa. You know, the only the the difference in in a high in a high school setting is, of course, you're dealing with snotty fifteen-year-olds who <laughs> <The> smell. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of them do, but I'm, I'm being facetious. But yeah, um, some of them do. Some of them do. And for the most part, particularly in 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 the high school setting, when you get beyond grade ten. Like uh, every kid has to take an arts credit to graduate. And very often a kid would choose drama by default. Right. Because they couldn't draw, they couldn't sing and they couldn't play an instrument and they couldn't dance. Right. So they thought drama would be easy.
0: Thinking it's the bird course, yeah. Uh,
1: and it's not, and they very <laughs> quickly realized that. It's not a bird course. <laughs> yeah. It requires them to participate daily and to be on task all the time.
0: I saw that you, you, you do teach uh, playwriting workshops. I do. Yes. So I was... And I. <laughs> uh, why do you laugh?
1: <laughs> I don't really consider myself a playwright. I have written several scripts, mm-hmm. uh, some on my own, some with my business partner, writing partner, and, but I have no training as a right. playwright. I just had to put together my resume for something else. I've directed probably between 35 and 40 musicals, the same number of plays and comedies yeah. in various settings. And I've learned from that experience what makes a good script. And that's what I try to impress on people who participate in these playwriting workshops, uh, is number one, keep your speeches short. Don't write a monologue. Mm-hmm. No actor wants to memorize a monologue. Try to keep the speech as rhythmic and as natural as possible. So there's give and take, give and take. And don't be afraid to let your characters interrupt each other, because that's how we talk. And be very clear into who the characters are and what their relationships are to each other. And everything else will take care of itself. The plot will take care of itself. Maybe there is no plot. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully there'll be some plot. I, I always, well, I always cite the example. I don't know if you know Stephen Sondheim's work. Yeah. Musicals. I directed a production of Company in um, Cookstown back in, oh gosh, 12 or 13 years ago now. And there is essentially no plot to that musical. The plot is Bobby is turning 35.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> That's the plot. And, but he has these interactions with his various couple of friends and his girlfriends throughout and that's it yeah there's no plot but what makes it so fascinating are the characters and their relationships with him and with each other you know it's a fascinating study of the whole concept of marriage so i I try to say to my people who take the playwriting classes don't be worried too much about the plot the plot will take care of itself be more concerned with the characters and their relationships to each other and think about the theme what is the message that you're trying to get across like well to go back to company the theme is marriage and all the stories like there are about 12 stories going on in that show and they all relate to the theme of marriage yeah and i've had Some people come in with preconceived notions into these playwriting classes. You know, They're gonna write this and they're gonna write that. And and I remember very clearly, a man came in a couple of years ago here in Halliburton and he had this great idea that he'd been been sitting in the back of his head for 30 years. He had the whole thing written by the second week. My, My practice is that if you have something to read, you bring it in and we read it aloud. So everybody in the class reads. Oh God, it was a very complicated story about Prospector setting up a scam company to scam money out of various levels of government and other sponsors in their search for gold. Okay. Based on an actual event that occurred in Canada back in the eighties. So he he wrote this, Oh my God. It was very, very technical. Yeah. Geological information. And it was, it was so boring. (laughs) But It all took place in a cafe. Okay. in this small town where the, the town councillors and the mayor were sitting around trying to figure out how they were going to create this scam. but And one of the characters was the owner of the cafe who just popped in and out, you know, putting down cups of coffee, and but she was listening. And I said, you know, the most interesting character to me in this whole scenario is the owner of the cafe. And I think if you turn her into your central character, you will have a play. Yeah. And he he thought I was just talking <laughs> shit.
0: I couldn't couldn't take it.
1: <laughs> but he eventually came around to the idea yeah. and he rewrote the whole thing.
0: Oh, he did. Oh,
1: great. Yeah. And I had another example of um, the woman who is the editor of the local paper took the first course I offered here in Halliburton I was a bit intimidated. The editor of the paper is taking my course. <laughs> there. she struggled and struggled. She's a she's an excellent writer, but she writes newspaper. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just very different style. And but she had there was there's a she had gone through the paper archives and come up with us an actual story that happened back in the '40s, where some guy tried to burn down his his business and he was a drunkard and you know he almost died blah 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 blah. She tried to develop this into this story. and she just she would, she just couldn't get a handle on it. Yeah. It just wasn't working. And she came up with a different version every week. As she was talking about it, she said, "Well, you know I do some volunteer work at the local senior's home. And I went, "Ah, oh, why don't you write about that?" And she came in in the last week. she had discarded the whole idea of the fire and that whole story. And she wrote a whole completely different story, but she did incorporate the fire into three people, seniors, who have come together. They're now living in the same senior's home, two women who are sisters and a man. The man was married to one of them, and he dated the other one. (laughs) And the reason that the marriage ended was because he tried to burn down the store.
0: Okay, so it, all, it did link back to her original idea.
1: But, it, you know, it took her six weeks. Yeah. Eight weeks to get there. It, in conjunction with these uh, playwriting classes, um, this is through Rural Rogues. We run those courses in the winter. And then in the summer, we, well, we we select the four strongest scripts and we produce them. And we do it on the grounds of the museum. It's outdoors. So we have four 20-minute plays yeah uh that we present to the public and this one about the the two women and the man and in the, in the retirement home which was called she ended up with a title called "Past the pickles <laughs> that, that was the open line it had the audience in stitches from beginning yeah. to end so funny these two women squabbling with each other and then the the, the old boyfriend and the old husband comes in and things just explode. Oh my God, it was funny. She came to see it. And she said, I can't believe what you did with my script. <laughs> like you gave us the script. You gave yeah. us the framework. We just interpreted your words. That's all we did. And she was just astounded.
0: Are those shows that you do then the um, the rural rogues uh summer shows are they generally successful like a lot of people come just to see them
1: do find a lot we do two performances uh, a saturday evening and a sunday afternoon and we i think we average between 30 and 40 people mm-hmm. right and you know bring, bring your own chair bring your own umbrella because if it's if it's really hot it can be really hot yeah we're in the space where we're The the first year we did this, uh, I actually wrote a full-length play, which was a series of four different scenes called Regeneration. And we did it sort of as a Canada 150 project. I'd had this idea that it would be really interesting to look at the history of Canada and the world through the eyes of a family over 150 years. Mm. And we'd drop in on the family every 50 years. Oh, neat. So... The first scene was in 1867 on July 1st. And the second scene was in 1917 at the height of the First World War. Third scene was 1967, centennial year. And then the fourth scene was 2017, very contemporary. All tied together through this family who um, in the first scene, the, the young man, his father has started a store, a general store. Which then becomes a a general merchandise store, which then becomes a hardware store, which then becomes eventually a hardware building center, design center. So, you know, it's that evolution of how how a town changes and how the needs of a town change and the, the country as well. And I used four historical figures to introduce each of the eras.
0: Oh, that's interesting. How did you? Well, they were all women. Okay.
1: So 1867 was Queen Victoria. 1917 was Mary Pickford. Oh, yes. Okay. First was Canadian. Yeah.
0: 1967
1: was Nancy Green.
0: I don't know her.
1: The skier. Okay. Downhill skier.
0: Okay. Showing my age there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> and in uh, 2017 was Katie Lang.
0: Oh, okay. Very nice.
1: So... Um, we had four women in the cast, and each of them had an opportunity to portray one of those historical figures. So th- those figures sort of brought everybody up to date on what happened in the intervening 50 years and uh, sort of set the scene for whatever year we happened to be in. And they were the most fun to write. Even Queen Victoria was kind uh, of fun to write.
0: Yeah.
1: Because um, she I had her talk about Sir John A and his, scheming wife <laughs> and queen Victoria suggests she's rather nasty woman reminds me of my own mother <laughs> anyway it was fun to write and um that was our first attempt at this kind of thing outdoors yeah. and each of the scenes occurred in a different place around the museum mm-hmm. we did it in july and of course we we made all kinds of contingency plans you know yeah. in, in climate weather we could move inside the museum building. What we didn't plan for was that the Sunday afternoon would be the hottest day of the year. <laughs> Not a cloud in the sky, it was, about, it was about 35 degrees.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: <laughs> and we were out, part of it took place out in a field where there was no shade <laughs> and, and the audience was literally, Ripping.
0: Yeah, they're just wilting away. <laughs> you know,
1: make all these plans, and then the one yeah. thing you think of is the one thing that happens. It was so hot, <laughs> so hot. Anyway, the audience loved it. We had a great response.
0: Yeah, that's really that's, that's neat because we I know we did um we've, or we have done a series of plays in the local Port Perry Cemetery, oh, yeah. and and uh the, and it's amazing how well attended they can be sometimes mm. you know people just uh, they they seem to really eat up that local the local history
1: of the uh, yeah yeah rural rogues um when we started it in 2016 we decided that our mandate would be to produce original works um based on the history geography and culture of halliburton county and which we thought was a pretty broad you know, covered almost everything, right? And I was telling somebody about that recent, just recently, and they said, "Well, that's pretty narrow." I said, "No, it's not. Well, you're you're limiting it to Halliburton County." Oh yeah, <laughs> okay. But you know, we are based in Halliburton County, and we want to focus on that. Well, what if somebody wants to write something about Simcoe County or about Muskoka? Well, we wouldn't say no. <laughs> Everybody's a critic.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, there's, a, there's, uh, a, once you really, I, I know just with Port Perry, you think, well, Port Perry is a small place, but there are so many interesting stories that have happened over the last 150, 200 years.
1: Yeah. Um, and there's a huge movement afoot that's just come up in the local press of the last two weeks that the man for whom Halliburton is named was, um, how shall I put this? A racist, he was um, anti Semitic and etc. Yeah. So now we're talking about changing the name of the town and the name of the county. Oh, are they really? Like, really? No, let's do a little education. You know, okay, he's not a god. He's, he was an ordinary human being and he was a product of his time. We're talking the 1860s. Yeah. He never actually came to this area. You can't go changing the name of this area after 150 years. People won't know what you're talking about.
0: I'll ask you about, uh, about COVID. How has your life as a theater maker been affected?
1: Well, um, I was directing a show in the winter for Highlands Little Theatre, which is the community theater company here. And we were within two weeks of opening.
0: Uh.
1: Our last rehearsal was Thursday, March the 12th. And we just, that was the day that they announced they were closing the schools. Yeah. And so we had a somewhat tension-filled, tear-filled meeting that night and decided to shut it down. And we had no choice. Well, the theater here is attached to the school. um, So we had no control over that. So that stopped immediately. You know, I I was saying to my brother-in-law a little while ago, who's a musician, we were talking about not being able to perform and direct and whatever. And we both said, you know, I'm not missing it terribly. Now, I'm one of the fortunate ones. I have an income. I have a pension. Um, uh, So I'm not in that desperate situation where I have no income. I'm depending on the government to support me. I'm very fortunate in that regard. But I quite frankly, I have not. It's been nice to have a break yeah. from it to just step back and think. You know, just take a breather. Because, you know, my life was one series of rehearsals and performances after another. Whether it's music or whether it's theater and it can be not that it's not enjoyable. You know, I'm not doing it for the money, that's for sure. <laughs> but it's it, it gives me a great deal of pleasure and a great deal of fulfillment. And I'm using the skills that I was, some, I don't know, talent whatever that I was born with, which I worked very hard to develop. And it does give me a great deal of joy to do what I do. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. But I have not really missed it. I haven't. And that was a strange... That was a bit of, of a surprise to me. Highlands Little Theatre is talking about putting up a production in March. We actually got some funding from the local development corporation. We just had a meeting about it this week and there is some interest. But then I read about, I don't know if you read about the, uh, the community theatre company in Burlington who recently put up a production of Little Shop of Horrors and they had a full rehearsal schedule and they opened all the protocols were in place and they did two performances and they had an outbreak of covid in the, amongst the cast crew. Oh right. They are now up to 11 cases and the costume designer has died. Oh wow. And she was 80 years old. So very susceptible but she was involved yeah. in the production and you think Oh man, is it worth it? There's always an innate risk in theater, no matter what you do, people may not show up. Mm-hmm. And that's the other concern, you know, if you do put on a show, what if nobody comes? That's a real yeah. possibility. The the local arts council actually <laughs> write something for their monthly newsletter a couple of months ago. And um, so I pondered that for a little while. and I, uh, I was thinking about my grandmother. so. I wrote about her. She and my grandfather were married in 1911 and my father was born in 1912 and his sister was born in 1915. My grandfather uh, enlisted, he was a teacher, he was actually a principal of a school in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. He enlisted in 1916 and was killed in 1917. My father had very, very few memories of him. My grandmother, uh, her, her husband died in 1917 Then her brother, her favorite brother, was killed in France in 1918. Her daughter died in the flu epidemic in 1920. She was five. And then her father died in the same year. So in the space of three years, she lost her husband, her brother, her daughter and her father in three years. And I often wonder how she survived how do you come out of that? And she did. I remember her she, I was seven when she died. But she remarried, had a second successful marriage, she and my grandfather built a very successful business. She was very involved in her community. Uh, She was the church organist for years. And, you know, lived into her 70s. And Of course, I wasn't old enough to ask her questions, and I kick myself all the time. But I thought, you know, that generation and our parents' generation, or my parents' generation at least, Mm -hmm. survived two world wars, a major economic depression, and then the Cold War, Korea, you know, the the German the Wall, uh, the Et cetera, et cetera. And they all did that. And I think COVID is nothing. It's not nothing. But...
0: In comparison, to
1: In comparison. Yeah. This is, this is the first major crisis that this country has faced in 75 years. And we're not handling it very well in some respects. We're certainly better than the Americans, but... <laughs> I I think you know we will survive, and theater will survive. As I keep saying, theater's been around for 2,500 years; it's not going anywhere. I I went to a a performance at the Opera House in Aurelia at the end of August, in which the audience was limited to 50 people Mm -hmm. in a 700-seat theater, and it was one of the most one of the strangest experiences I've had in a theater ever, because it just it just didn't feel right. Yeah. It was just bizarre.
0: Yeah, you
1: know, We're all sitting so far apart, the two actors are on the stage, and there was a very brief intermission. Um, it just, it didn't feel like theater. At all. It felt like I was watching television.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, yeah I, I agree with you that it, it, it will come back, but uh, who knows when and, and who knows how. Let's end on a on a high note. We have a couple of questions that we've been asking all of our guests. The first one is uh, if you could choose uh, one play to self isolate with, only you only get one play. What uh, play would you choose?
1: Can it be a musical?
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely.
1: I would choose Sunday in the Park with George. Cool. Because it's about creating art. I don't know why I said that, but that's the one I that's the one that came to mind.
0: That's that's great. Have you directed that?
1: No, I haven't. I'd love okay. to. Okay. It's a very challenging great. play because the painting literally comes to life before your very eyes, right? And the people in the in the painting become characters and they interact with Sarah as he's creating the painting.
0: All right, well that's great. And um the other question we've been asking and and maybe you've already uh Maybe you've already answered this with your, with your uh, COVID experience in Aurelia, but uh, we've been asking people what their most memorable experience has been as an audience member.
1: Oh, I would have to say it's, it's, it, it was an opera that I saw. It was the COC. This is years, like 20 plus years ago. And I was given two tickets to see Bluebeard's Castle directed by Atom Egoyan and my business partner writing partner and I went I was literally blown back into my seat and at intermission Phyllis my partner turned to me and we both said at the same time what was that and we never got out of our seats at intermission and we talked about it all the way home in the car it was the most astounding interpretation of an opera or a play that I'd ever seen. And we still talk about it. It made a huge impression on both of us. And I'm sorry it's not a play.
0: Yeah, we just said just said theater experience. So that's that that absolutely fits. Yeah. It was
1: just astounding. Secondly secondly I would say the first time I saw Les Mis ah. in Toronto. That was that also. And the first time I saw a chorus line, way back in the '70s, when it came to Toronto, the very first time, I was mesmerized. Hmm. Mesmerized. I was very young. I think I was about 20.
0: Well, no, thank you very much for your time. It's been uh, learned quite a bit.
1: Re-examining my life. <laughs> That's what we do here. <laughs> thank you, Graham. This has been okay. great. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thanks. Take care. I will. You too.